The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Cade. Thank you, Miss Christmas. It's good to have you in the house. I hate you're not going to be here for Christmas with us, but uh, we understand. She's got a grandchild now, and uh, I understand that. Uh, you'll be uh, in a different place. Um, wow, that's hard to follow. Between... Um, Michael Davis doing the announcements, and uh, I don't know if that ever needs to happen again, or maybe it needs to happen every week. Uh, that was amazing, man. That was amazing. That was something else. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, prepare to dive into Isaiah chapter 9. Father, you're good, and all you do is good. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for the worship of the morning. We thank you, O oh God, that you are worthy to be praised. And when we praise you, when we lose sight of ourselves, as we gain sight of you, we find the reason for which we were made. Lord, our burdens are lifted. Healing occurs. Our souls find rest. And we feel human again. And so, God, I pray that you would come now and show us that this is the freedom for which you have set us free. That, God, this must not be an isolated incident, but it must be the rhythm of life. You are our King, Lord Jesus, our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, so that we might rest. Oh, God, we are such anxious people, so full of worry, so full of fear. Would you come and rescue us from that this morning? Would you come and do what only you can? God, I need you to direct my heart and my mind. I need you to make sense of my thoughts, not your word, but my thoughts, my interpretation, and my preaching. Holy Spirit, come and convert hearts. Thank you for what you did last week and the weeks before. God, may your word not go out void and fruitless, but may there be power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, um, myself and three other pastors went and had a meeting with Mayor Lee Harris, County Mayor Harris, and uh, we just had one agenda, and that was to ask him how we might support him, how we might get behind him and, uh, and support him in his work as pastors in the city. And, uh, and he quickly gave us several agendas, but one that caught my attention, the one that he really highlighted was his desire to build a new juvenile detention center center um, to replace the one that presently exists, uh, because the one that presently exists is um, really void of any kind of um, 
rooms to, to educate. And the state puts a four-hour mandate on juvenile detention centers to actually educate for at least four hours a day. And there's really no room to do that at our present facility. There's no real library. There's no real exercise facility. Um, and he would like to build a new detention center that has fewer beds. And his plan to decrease the number of juvenile offenders um, in our city is he is building, he is about to open um, a step-down facility that provides not punishment but resources and rehabilitation um, so that more students are not taken to a detention center but to a resource center. And he was calling on us as pastors. He said, I need you not just to write a letter to the um, county commission, but I need you to come up with ideas about programming. And wouldn't it be great if the church provided the mentors and the direction for the programming in these facilities? And I walked away from that encouraged. <laughs> encouraged with some marching orders, but encouraged by a mayor willing to use his governance for good. And isn't that what we all want? Even if you're sitting there and you say, oh, that'll never work, I don't like that. The very fact you have pushback signifies that you really do long for good governance. <laughs> you really do long for a king, for a governor, for a mayor, for someone to come in and bring peace, to bring good and flourishing and prosperity. Because that's what we all long for, because that is what was put into us. We see it all throughout the Bible. Namely, that we were made not to be isolated kings and queens, but we were made to live under good lordship, under good governance. You see it throughout the Old Testament. Those that uh, Isaiah is, is receiving this prophecy while he is in exile in Babylon. He has been taken away and he has been placed under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a ruthless king, and, and he is serving as a slave, as a captive. And in the midst of this slavery, in the midst of being in a foreign and alien land and being a foreigner, he writes the words of Isaiah 9. Ah, but unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's past tense. Um, it, he's speaking as if it's a reality. Because that is the hope of God's people, that we will have a wonderful counselor a mighty God, an everlasting Father. Do you see the intimacy of that? A Prince of Peace. This Advent season, which really begins next Sunday, but we just couldn't wait. Uh, this Advent season, we want to focus in on the incarnate Jesus who is promised to be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace the one who comes in under whose rule we can know rest for our weary souls. You see, we felt like this was the perfect time of year to do this because this is the time of year that we typically start to ramp up and feel even more anxious. 
And so let's look at this Prince of Peace. The first thing that I think we need to see is that we need to see that there is an effect. There, there are implications to not living as if Jesus were your king. We need a revival of Jesus as king. Because to not live as Jesus as king is to live a stressful, anxious, worry-filled life full of fear. When you're not functionally living as Jesus as your king, with Jesus as your king, then you will live in anxiety, you will live in fear, you will live in worry, and you will feel isolated and alone by everything that comes your way. This was one of the biggest takeaways that I received from our four-month sabbatical. I, I spoke a little bit about this, but four months off... Um, produced in me the revelation that I was created for rest, not just work. In fact, I was created so much, just as much for rest as I was for work. And yet I have neglected rest. I have neglected Sabbath. I have neglected the kind of deep soul rest that God provides for, for us as believers. And there are consequences. And I found those consequences in a weird, weird way because over the sabbatical, some truths came into focus. The first truth was, and I don't mean like just head knowledge, I mean in a deep experiential way through resting, through reading God's Word, through praying, through getting out from under the concerns of the world and the concerns and pressures of life and work and ministry, to get out from under that for an extended period of time, what came into focus was a deep sense in my soul that I am more than my calling, that I am more than my work. Even though my work is good, it is a calling. The second thing is that I am not God. A deep sense that I, he did not call me to put all the pressures and all the responsibilities of the world of a $165,000 deficit on Richard to try to figure out on the souls of the neighbors around us to try to figure out, on the concerns and carries and the diagnosis that, that you and I both receive, God did not place that on me. I have a God who carries that burden, and he does not look to me to carry it. And then thirdly and finally, that my neighbor matters more than what I accomplish. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But these two realities that rest produces a, a real reality, genuine rest, the kind of rest that God provides for through Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the kind of rest that he provides brings in these deep realities of taking the burden off us to understand that we are not slaves in Egypt. We are not under Pharaoh, but we are under a good, good father who has won our salvation, and he, through his salvation, is the end of our striving and the end of our work, and he is God and we are not. We are to live dependent. We are to live abiding. We are to live resting in him, not working for him. This is the, this is the benefit of living with Jesus as king. 
This is a great time of year, to, I think, to bring this message because a subtle shift begins to happen during December and really November and earlier and earlier. You see, what begins to happen is the holidays start coming, and many of us have experienced it over Thanksgiving. The shift goes from, uh, you know, from, from living as we know we should live and, and living the kind of truth that we know we should live to living the kind of truth or, or living in such a way to manipulate life to produce the truth that we want. You, you see, we have this nostalgic dream that somehow getting everybody around the table, everybody with presents under the tree is going to bring the new heaven and the new earth. We really forget. We, we just throw out the window the fact that the, we live in a cursed world and our families are broken and our finances are broken. And so what we do, we come at the holidays, if you will, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We come into the Advent season putting so much pressure and we are ruling and manipulating, oh, the children have to be home or this has to be or I better, if I don't have that sweet potato casserole, then it's done. I mean, it's over, you know. I and mean, we put all these little rules and all these little expectations and if I don't get my wish list or I don't have money to provide for my family, whatever it is, then I'm nothing. And we wonder why there's such a deep loneliness over this time of year. We wonder why, why there's such deep hopelessness, why there's so much pressure, why there's more fighting, and, and, and why we, you know, we go to counseling or we wonder why the counseling office is booked or our counselor is booked this time of year. We were not made to be God, even and especially this time of year. We were made to rest in God. We were not made to create heaven on earth, but to put our hopes, our ultimate deepest hopes in one who is going to bring heaven to earth one day. We weren't created to manipulate life, but to admit to where we are and to admit to what our family is and what our circumstances are financially and in every other way. And to know that our hope is in a king who reigns supremely right now and who is coming one day riding on the clouds to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. If these aren't significant realities, real realities in our lives, then there will be deep consequences. And friends, there are deep consequences. H.H. Farmer said this, if you go against the grain of the universe, and in this context, if you go against living a life of Jesus as king and you as a restful son or daughter, then you're going to get splinters. And that's what I saw over my sabbatical. I began to see the splinters. In fact, I had to go to um, my counselor, Brent Stenberg, and ask him as I came back and I'm getting hit with the same pressures and getting hit with the same stuff, but literally I'm not responding the same. My body's not responding the same. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I wanted an explanation. He, he said, Richard, this is, this is the reality. You live so many years under three kinds of stress. Cumulative stress, just the built-up daily stress. And vicarious stress, carrying the stress of other people, people that you love, um, folks in, in ministry across three different churches and family and so forth. And critical incident stress, which is, you know, like crisis that I have to manage. And he said, literally, when you are hit like that and you are not resting, 
You are not finding relief in Sabbath living. Your body, your mind, everything becomes rewired and, and you literally start responding to every, even the smallest things, as if they were massive. And friends, I don't believe that I'm alone in this. As I begin to start reading about stress, I, I'm, I'm beginning to see that this is where we are. We are the most stress-filled generation in the history of the world. I really believe that. Because now we literally have no time and we take no time to cut everything off. Even in a spare moment, even at a red light, we're looking at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We cannot shut down at any moment. We have completely ruled out any hope of solitude and silence before God. And it is killing us. Listen to this article by the Mayo Clinic on stress. When you encounter a perceived threat, um, such as a large dog coming at you uh, when you're walking, your hypothalamus, a tiny region at the base of your brain, sets off an alarm system in your body. Through a combination of nerve and hormonal signals, this system prompts your adrenaline glands located at the top of your kidneys to release a surge of hormones including adrenaline and cortisol. Adrenaline increases your heart rate, elevates your blood pressure, and boosts energy supplies. Cortisol, the primary stress hormone, increases sugars or glucose in the bloodstream, enhances your brain's use of glucose, and increases the availability of substances that repair tissue. That's good. Cortisol also curbs functions that would be non-essential or detrimental in a fight-or-flight situation. It alters immune system responses and suppresses the digestive system, the reproductive system, and growth processes. This complex natural alarm system also communicates with regions of your brain that control mood, motivation, and fear. So literally, physically, to not take Sabbath, to not take break from our normal schedules and, and, and the normal grind of life, even if we're putting ourselves in playful activities, most of our play today, our play is even killing us because we've got to compete even when we're playing. We've got to be in a soccer league or I've got to run a race on, you know, Thanksgiving morning to feel significant. I've got to be beating somebody to feel good about myself. Do you see it? Even our retreat, even our rest is stressful. What are the long-term implications? The long-term activation of the stress response system and the subsequent overexposure to cortisol and other stress hormones can disrupt almost all your body's processes. This puts you at increased risk of numerous health problems, including anxiety, depression, digestive problems, headaches, heart disease, sleep problems, weight gain, memory, and concentration impairment. To not live Sabbath is to live as if you think you're God. And we weren't made to be God. We, dear friends, were not made to live as if we are the ones who are the Prince of Peace, to bring peace and order and rest in our lives. But we were made to live under the rule of one 
the good rule of one who is the Prince of Peace. And friends, this is a significant evidence that we are God's people, the very fact that we take Sabbath rest. Listen to how the Bible speaks of this. Later in Isaiah, Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Anxiety, fear, all of these things, that's, that's the result of, of living as if there is no king and that's how the wicked live. Isaiah 57, 20, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. The wicked are like the tossing sea. Your friends, is that how you feel this morning? Do you feel stressed out? Do you feel burdened? Do you feel like everything's on you? Dear friends, there is relief for this. Because secondly, we were created for peace leading to rest. There is so much emphasis on work, and there should be. There should be emphasis on work. We were created to work for six days. I, I mean, work is, is, is a, an integral part of being human. We, we should feel, we should participate with God in the work that he's given us under his lordship, under his flourishing, in the midst of his flourishing. But... We weren't created only for work. We were created also for rest. How many, do you really believe this morning that you were created for rest? Now you might say, I know I was created for that trip to Italy. That's why I just bought that ticket and that's what I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that day off. There's a huge difference between a day off and Sabbath rest. A day off is about you. A Sabbath rest is about God. A Sabbath rest is about re remembering who you are in light of who he is. Listen to Walter Brueggemann. And if you want, if you want to read more, I would highly recommend this book. Uh, it's called Sabbath as Resistance by Walter Brueggemann. Listen to what he says. Kind of a long quote, but it's really good. Thus, the Sabbath command of Exodus 20.11 recalls that God rested on the seventh day of creation, an allusion to Genesis 2, 1 through 4, which is creation. That divine rest on the seventh day of creation has made clear that Yahweh is not a workaholic, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation, that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Wow. This performance and exhibit of divine rest thus characterizes the God of creation, creation itself, and the creatures made in the image of the resting God. Think about that, a God who rests. Creation is to be enacted and embraced without defining anxiety. Indeed, such divine rest serves to delegitim delegitimate and dismantle the endless restlessness sanctioned by the other gods and enacted by their adherents. That divine rest on the seventh day, moreover, is recalled in the commands, commandment of Exodus 31, 12 through 17, wherein God is, get this, refreshed on the seventh day. It, when I read that, I literally, I was like, where's my Bible? I don't know, I didn't believe it. It's pretty bad, isn't it? 
The God of Israel and of creation is no immovable fixed object, but here is said to be depleted and by rest may recover a full sense of self or nefesh. That's a Hebrew word for like whole being. Now, if you don't believe it, listen to this command. Exodus 31. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Friends, we have a God who rested and who created all things, then rested, and he's still resting as he rules over his creation. But friends, hear me. To bring yourself under that God is to acknowledge that not only does he rest, but he demands and frees you to rest. God has created you to rest. To deny that is the, the highest form of arrogance. It's to believe that my job, my company, this world, my family can't survive without me and my work and my ingenious ideas. It's to take the place of God. You see, Jesus, being the Prince of Peace, has won our rest. He didn't just grant it, he won it. Think about that. Uh, I read a book over sabbatical called The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Incredible book. It, it's set during the time of World War II and the Holocaust and, uh, and all that. And, and it, it focuses on um, a little family in a little town in France um, during this time. And, and the husband is sent off to war and, and the wife and... and um, child, daughter, and son are, are left um, to fend for themselves. And under the reign and rule of um, Hitler and his regime, as they take that little town, a commander comes and moves into their home. Doesn't ask, just comes and takes the bedroom. And as you read about their life and the stress that is upon them as they are having to live and serve this, uh, this Nazi soldier in their home, you get the, the sense of the, the strain that is on them and on every level financially. It, it's, they have no food, they have nothing, but anything they do have, they've got to give to him. It, it's horrific. And you get the sense, you get this longing for peace for them. You get so into the character that you want them to be freed to a better governing. To have a ruler over them for this evil ruler who's providing no rest and only danger, who's using them to be cast out, and a better ruler to come in so that they can have a sense of flourishing and rest. 
so their souls can get out from under the stress of the evil that lives within their home. And friends, that's precisely what has happened through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God himself is a God who calls us unto himself. And he is a God that is more than his work. He is a God that doesn't call us to be God. He gave us Sabbath to reorder relationship and community and neighboring to literally have friendship because we don't have to use people for work, but we can simply love people as our neighbors because we have a God who is reigning and ruling over us. He has brought peace. I love Psalm 100 verse 3. I'm memorizing it right now. And it says, It is He who made us and not we ourselves. I've been meditating on that little sentence. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Do that this week. Do that. Take time to simply be quiet and speak to yourself in the deepest part of your heart. It is he who made me and not me myself. God is God and I am not. He is my creator and I am not. He is ruling over the stresses of my life, and I am not. And then thirdly and finally, to the degree we acknowledge and submit to Jesus as king is the extent to which you will know peace. I have a friend whose uh, company, he, he um, is high up in a very large company, and they just bought a, another company. And he said the acquisition, during the time of the acquisition of merging these two companies was one of the most stressful times in his entire life. He was working 100-hour weeks. And he said he would take about 20 minutes a day. He said he was about to lose his mind. But he would take about 20 minutes a day and simply drive to a nearby park and get quiet and alone and practice meditation. And he said, what I would do, I would just do deep breathing, and I would try to clear my head of all the stresses, um, and then I would begin to pray. And he said, Richard, that was the only thing that got me through, literally, that got me through this time. I've talked to others that um, have, uh, you know, gotten into yoga um, and even mindfulness. And, um, and, and yoga is a great way. In fact, it's what uh, most doctors recommend, some type of exercise, some type of deep breathing, some type of yoga. But I want you to hear me. The reason these things work is because they're a step in the right direction, not because they are an end in and of themselves. All of these exercise, that's my go-to, run, do something. Running is not going to give you the kind of rest and the kind of, the kind of deep soul peace that you were made for. Only Jesus will. You see, friends, we were made to find our rest in God alone. And we have to literally find our rest in Jesus that's what the writer of Hebrews is arguing in Hebrews 4. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Have you rested from your works? 
What are the pressures that you are putting on yourself to perform in order to be significant? What are the ways that you are trying to justify your existence? Are you using your school? Are you using athletics? Are you using your ability to fight? Are you using your ability to make money? How are you putting pressure on yourself to feel significant? Listen to Brueggemann again. The world is an anxiety-free one of well-being because the creator is anxiety-free and publicly exhibits that freedom from anxiety by not checking things out. God is not a workaholic. God is not a pharaoh. God does not keep jacking up production schedules. To the contrary, God rests confident, serene, at peace. God's rest, moreover, bestows on creatureliness a restfulness that contradicts the drivenness of the system of Pharaoh. Friends, there is a deep murmur in our soul that feels as if we have to prove ourselves. We have to justify ourselves. We must achieve more. A woman by the name of Judith Shulevitz in an article uh, called Bringing Back the Sabbath says this, Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement. We can't help but admiring workaholics. Friends, we must stop. <laughs> we must stop admiring workaholism. And we must stop admiring overachievement. And we must begin to value rest as that which is significant. And we can only find that rest in Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this by wrapping up. Last week, I preached on money. This week, I preach, I'm preaching on rest. I don't know which is worse. Workaholism, addiction to that which will distract us, whether it's Netflix or social media or mindless whatever, is killing us. We are, as I said last week, we are a room of addicts when it comes to our stuff and our money and our relationship with money. But I want you to hear, we are addicts in our relationship with our work and our need to self-justify. And the evidence is the church is no different than the world when it comes to anxiety, worry, and fear. But friends, we have a good, good Father. Jesus is your Prince of Peace. He has come in the flesh to live under the law. Do you understand what that means? It, it, every other God drives for production and drives its subjects to production. Produce, produce, produce in order to justify yourselves. And maybe at the end of your life, that God will bend down and lean down and say, mm, okay. But the God of glory came down, literally, this is Christmas. He came down to live under the law to be your performance so that you don't have to perform anymore in order to get his love. Is that a deep and abiding reality to you as much as the fact that Jesus died for your sins? Because then he did die for your sins. He took all of your guilt, all of your shame upon himself. And he became the object of God's wrath so that he might win our salvation. 
And now to be a Christian means to rest in Christ, to trust Him as your performance so that your work does not define you, your beauty or lack of does not define you, your performance in athletics, your performance in, in school, your performance wherever does not define you, but only Jesus defines you. And that's what Sabbath rest is all about. It's taking time off to remember that you are more than your work, you are more than your school, you are more than your beauty, you are more than what you look like, you are more than what you sound like, you are more than whatever it is you look to. To remember that you are more than that. You are a redeemed son or daughter of the king. And he does not expect you to be God, but he expects you to live as if he is God. To live praying and trusting that he is. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like. Next week, we're going to a passage where Jesus declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to look at what it means to take Sabbath, what it means to live Sabbath, what it means to live a life of rest in the face of restlessness. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a God that has not sent us out this morning to go prove that we are worthy of your love. God, we thank you that you are not an evil taskmaster who will send us out of this place to prove that we are worth what you have already declared us to be worth. Father, I pray that you would get at the core of what drives us and that you would free us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that you would make us to be a people that know what rest is all about. That know what solitude is about. That know what Sabbath is about. Oh God, you've got to come and do deep transformation in our hearts and souls. Would you do that even now by your Spirit? Would you give us a hunger for this day to look different? Would you give us a hunger for Jesus to be that which truly fills us up? Oh God, would you work in us throughout this season that we might see that you indeed are our Sabbath rest. Teach us what it means to live Sabbath. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you bring your tithes and offerings this morning, and I'll remind you, you are welcome to uh, drop off your pledge card in the basket as well. Uh, the deadline is December 16th. Uh, I want you to find rest in God. As, as the music is played, would you just close your eyes and think on God's Word. Think on this reality that it is He who made us and not we ourselves. Would you speak those words to yourself? Would you speak those words that I am not God, but God is God. And He is, I am more than my work. I'm more than what He calls me to do. I'm His son or daughter. Let these realities roll over you over the next several minutes.